0: Well, we come to God's word now as we continue our series in the epistle of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. The subject this morning is submission. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 and this is part 20 in in our series. So as we continue our series, uh, I must warn you that this morning we are stepping on a very dangerous minefield. Are you ready? While my goal is to tread carefully, my higher aim is to be faithful to God's word. This means that I need to prepare myself for possible explosions in the next couple of weeks. This morning we will speak more generally on the topic of submission as we concentrate on this one One verse. And this verse is like an umbrella verse, it is a a platform from where we jump to other passages that follow and to other parts of the scriptures. Let's be honest that uh, submission is not a, a popular subject in Australia and in the West in general. What is popular is defiance, The opposite of submission. There are many movies, songs, books on the subject of rebellion, defiance, independence. And this is the direct result of the times we live in. It is the consequence of living in a permissive world where there are no absolutes, it's all relative, especially no relatives no absolutes with regards to what god has decreed unsurprisingly the bible warned us that lawlessness will be a characteristic of the, the final days the days before jesus returns in short paul's instructions here create a a head-on collision with the beliefs and practices of our culture. Consequently, his words are written off as the rantings of a cranky old single male chauvinist. His teachings are seen as a mere reflection of his culture and not as the timeless Teachings which transcends culture. Even though, even secular historians this day, they they explain how the Bible has brought order and dignity to civilizations. Those who have taken the Bible seriously in the last 2,000 years. Despite this, the church in general and the Bible in particular are seen by society today as irrelevant. They say it fails to address people's real problems. Let's go back a bit and and see where the Apostle is coming from, particularly as he writes this letter to the Ephesians. While in jail, he writes to the church that he founded. This church is formed by, by many new Christians. They knew nothing about Christian ethics or moral behavior. In their former life, what they were rescued from, they were these sexually charged individuals given over to the works of the devil. Through the practice of your cult. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19, this is what he said. He said, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensually greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Every kind of impurity. Just imagine what that was like. They live like animals in this urban metropolis and its degrading lifestyle. This is why the Apostle Paul addresses the carnal urge to lie, to steal, to gossip, to be hateful and bitter with one another. This is how they lived. This was normal. In their former life they were once darkness, but now they are light. And there are expectations that come as a result of living in the light. But Let's also remember that in writing to them, this is the word of God. He is also writing to us here 2,000 years later. We look around and appreciate we have to appreciate the contemporary nature of God's word. So in this section, the apostle takes up the matter of Christian relationships, how we deal with one another, with other human beings. Here we face squarely the burning problems of our day, such as climbing divorce rates, Juvenile delinquency, rebellion, the struggle between management and workers, and many other matters. So we dismiss his instructions at our own peril. But I think it's not the, I don't think it's the many problems that he tackles that is the issue here but he's because there are so many issues that he tackles. What we struggle with are the solutions that he offers, the instructions that he gives us. Do we accept it? Or do we say, nah, nah, that's not for me, thank you. So let's look at a key word. So whether believers, as Christians, as believers, whether we want to hear or not, Submission is a biblical concept, not just 2,000 years ago, but for today as well. The problem that we have is that we confuse the views of society versus the religious versus the biblical concept of submission. So if you go to a Christian bookstore, there aren't too many these days, but if you do go... You will find many books on being a successful Christian, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how to be happily married and build a Christian home, but no books about submission because it is seen as outdated, outmoded. And yet this verse here is is a key solution to so many of our spiritual and social, relational problems. This is what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the platform. We're going to jump from it and we'll come back to it and jump again and see where it takes us. So this verse is a, is a transition from forming a bridge between what was discussed before and what is to come. The three paragraphs that, that follow are there as examples of what Christian submission looks like in our relationships. So wives are addressed before their husbands and told to be subject to them. Children are mentioned before their parents and are told to obey them. And slaves are addressed before their masters and are told to be obedient to them. The English word to submit comes from a Latin root which means to let down, to reduce, to yield. Even our modern language hints at its roots. To have, to have a submission would mean to have a secondary mission that yields to a greater one. You get that? Submission. The Greek word is hupotazo, which means to put under or arrange under. And it was used, it was a military term that refers to lower ranking soldiers arranging themselves under the orders of higher officers, higher ranking officers. So submission then is acknowledge of, is, you acknowledge proper order, proper authority. A good example of this is a discussion between Jesus and the centurion, the Roman centurion, who was a pagan, an unbeliever. And this centurion comes to Jesus pleading for Jesus To heal his servant. You know the story. And what we have here, the the explanation that the centurion gives to Jesus is as good an explanation, as good an illustration of what the army calls the chain of command. Let me read the verses to you. Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. The centurion replied... Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant to do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. If Jesus says this, he's, he's full on serious, right? We have to believe him. Jesus was astonished that this pagan understood The kingdom of God, the principles of the kingdom of God, better than any of the Jews because he understood submission. He understood how it works. In the Roman military, the emperor had absolute full authority, but he delegated his authority to others beneath him. So when the centurion spoke an order, he spoke an order with the emperor above him with the emperor's authority he spoke and to disobey the centurion if a soldier was to disobey the centurion he would be disobeying the emperor himself this was an act of defiance considered as treason and deserving of death there was no mucking around There could not be a break in the chain of command. Ever. Now, the reason why we arc up against submission is because, let's be honest, it is offensive to the flesh. Because at our core, we want to be in control. We want to make our own decisions. We want our wills to be done. We recall the response from the servants in one of Jesus' parables, Luke nineteen fourteen, when they said, We will not have this man reign over us. Which points us to what they said about Jesus, at his trial, we have no king but Caesar. But Jesus himself recognised the Father's authority and was submissive to it. Remember that his purpose was to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. It was the work of the Father and Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. His entire life was one of submission to the Father, culminating with this great prayer of submission in the garden, just before his death, when he said, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We can have no greater example than this, can we? As, as his disciples, we must also submit to the authority of Christ, just as he submitted to the authority of the Father. Jesus summed it up well when he said to us, to his disciples and to us, when he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. Matthew 6:46. In other words, why do you give me the correct title, but you resist the authority that goes with it? It's clear as a bell, right? That's what he's saying. So, with that as a base, now let's go to some areas of submission that are mentioned in the scriptures. The Bible teaches basically there are six areas of submissions that are mentioned that believers are called to observe. First and foremost, of course, is our submission to God. James 4.7, greatest book in the Bible, according to Ted. (laughs) Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But there's that key word. Therefore, submit to God. Submission to God, therefore, is is the primary thing. Secondly, obedience to parents. uh, In Ephesians six one it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We're going to look at that later in our series. But this is moderated or tempered by fathers do not exasperate your children. Chapter 6 verse 5. We'll leave that for later on. Thirdly, submission in marriage. This one's always a popular one. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. We're going to look at this next week. And this is moderated by Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Fourth, obedience to employers, to your bosses. Colossians 3.22, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. And this is balanced with masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. You see the chain of command? That's the command to the bosses. Because you're accountable to someone who's above you. Fifth, it's Submission to civil authority. 1 Peter 2.13-14 Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted amongst men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. I will talk a little bit about this in the next... Next page. Sixth and last, submission to pastors and church leaders. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. Are those who must give account. Give account to who? To those who are above God. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable to you. Oh boy, oh boy. Have I got a lot to say about that one. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. What brings grief to pastors and leaders the sniping, the gossiping, the backbiting, the backstabbing, the undermining, the whinging, the complaining. A colleague of mine at this, on this day is, is facing a real struggle in his church because the They're undermining. They call members meeting and it's horrible. Can't sleep. It's terrible that it happens in the Lord's Church. Years ago, uh, uh, I think I told you the story already from, uh, happened about 25 years ago maybe 30 years ago, people I studied with at college that were in their second church. So many struggles within the church. My colleague's wife, uh, she had seen her husband struggle with so much. She had four or five kids. She goes out to the bush and takes her own life. She could not handle the pain. I know maybe you, you need somebody else to tell you this story, but let me just speak honestly. It's painful. Unless you're a pastor, you will not understand. Unless you're a leader in a church, you will not understand some of the grief that is caused. So please pray if, if there's something that i covered for, The Tenth Commandment, I covet your prayers. That's what I covet constantly. And I thank you all for praying. And it's not for for my sake, this is for the sake of the church. So whatever happens, I will have to give account one day to my Master. For all of you as well. Having said that, these words are moderated by 1 Peter 5.3. Not spoken to pastors and leaders, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And we also know that many pastors have stepped over the boundary when it comes to lording it over the flock. So let's speak on the subject of abuse. Unfortunately, many have taken verses such as these with no moderation, no temperance, nothing, and and, and they use these these verses that we have here and, and have used that as justification for abuse of power. As I said, it happens in churches. It happens politically. Hitler, for example, did this to convince the Lutherans, the resistance against authority. He used this against the Lutherans not to resist him in the lead up to World War II. History tells the story. Let's remember that God is sovereign and all authority are ultimately in submission to God, to the sovereign Lord. So even when a a higher authority violates God's order... We are called to submit in a godly fashion. How does this look like? Well, we have examples in the scriptures. So when the apostles were arrested and told to stop preaching Jesus, they replied, "We must obey God rather than men." Acts 5:29. So they appealed to a high authority And continued to preach Jesus openly, even though it led to persecution, jail, floggings, etc. In some cases, God brought forth their deliverance. At other times, God allowed for their glorious martyrdom for the name of Jesus. And Acts tells us, Acts 5.41 tells us that they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. We have also seen many use this passage, and I will talk about it more next week, to justify abuse in the home, in the church, in the workplace. There is so much domestic abuse, even in Christian homes today. And the abuse can occur in non-physical ways as well. Needless to say, this is in stark opposition to God's plan for the family. It often leaves deep scars because even after victims are physically safe the emotional and spiritual, psychological scars continue. And it continues and the kids see the abuse that happened in the home and the last thing they want to do is step into a church again because they saw the examples of mum and dad. And it's sad to see, but it's, it's an aberration. It's, it's a totally misuse of a passage, not understanding what the Bible is saying here. So let's go back to our, our verse. Let's look at the verse again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Maybe, maybe you've heard someone say, look, I don't submit to, to, to man. I submit only to God. Well, that's a bit like the, the soldier saying to the sergeant I'm not going to listen to you I don't have to listen to you I'm only going to answer to the general how's that going to work? there is there's an obvious break in the chain of command which creates confusion and it's, it's an obvious act of insubordination and although there are many Context in in which such a sentiment is perhaps honourable, for the most part it isn't. How can one say he is submitted to God if he denies the directives of God concerning submission to others? The truth is our submission to God is measured by the degree by which we submit to others. So if our purpose on this earth is to do the will of God, then submitting to someone else becomes an act of obedience and trust in God. I know, we naturally look at our own self-interest. That's what the world tells us. Look after number one, you. But if we trust God to take care of us, then we are free take care of others but it has to be in the context of love and this is my last point this morning the context of love we belong as you know to the family of God deeply loved by our heavenly father we live by grace this has to make all the difference We are all, each of us, we are blessed with with gifts and talents which enable us to fulfill the different roles that we have been called to fulfill. We have been equipped by the Holy Spirit. Having said all of this, let me remind you that these roles are not a reflection on us as persons, but rather that they are a reflection of Christ and his church, his design. 1 Corinthians 12. For in Christ there are no distinctions. We're all in equal standing before him. Where does it say that? Well, Galatians 3:26 to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. The different roles do not affect our standing before God. We must distinguish, therefore, what we are as a person in Christ, and what role we are to portray about Christ in our families, in the church, in society. All given a role to play, but having a subordinate role does not imply inferiority whatsoever. You're not inferior and you're standing before God. If we don't, if we still struggle with this, let me give you, if we don't appreciate it, let me give you uh, an example. Now the word Islam, what does it mean? The word Islam actually means submission, which means keeping the rules. Our Judaic Christian heritage includes rules as well. The Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule from the New Testament, But here's the difference. Getting to heaven under Christianity is about redemption through Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sin. We believe God's promise and accept his gift of forgiveness and we are saved. We are accepted. We are loved. Under Islam, salvation comes through Strict adherence, obedience to the directives given in the Quran. One is grace, the other is works. In the Quran, God is characterized as a judge whose primary attribute is justice. Not surprisingly, the Quran harshly condemns all who reject the teachings of Islam. So it follows that in Islam, God is not seen as a loving father. In fact, such a concept is actually considered blasphemous by Muslims, the concept of a loving father. You see, once love is removed from the equation, it becomes something altogether different. And I think this is something that as Christians we take for granted. We really don't appreciate. But it's true. The Christian must never forget that in every relationship in life another person is present. I go back to verse 21. That means that It is not merely a problem of what I want versus what you want It's not just between a husband and a wife Between a parent and a child Between an employee and employer In every relationship What we need to understand is that there is a third person present Who is that? Jesus Christ An unbeliever doesn't worry about that A non Christian doesn't have to worry about that because Jesus Christ doesn't even, it's not even there except in a swear word. But for us, we do everything out of reference for Christ because he's there. We revere him. We honor him. So there's always that secondary consideration. Here then we come to the solution. What does Christ want me to do? Now, if we don't recognise this third party who is present in every situation, then it's obviously just going to be the two of us. Our pride will get in the way. He grips us. He takes hold of us. We get angry. We refuse to yield. We knock back down. Who do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. But when we see Jesus, when we see Christ... We we know straight away that we are not alone in this matter. He's going to look after us. So as his representatives, <clears throat> as the ones in whom he lives through the Holy Spirit, the ones who have been redeemed and, and deeply loved by him. We have to live our lives in reverence And in honour to him because that's who we are. That's what we're called to be. That's what we have to be. He's the one that gave his life for us. So we dress ourselves in his love which binds all things together. He binds it all together. You remove love, we're back to square one. May God enable us to live our lives in submission to one another because we are in submission to him and in reverence to him. Amen.